Some people call me control freak, but I like to think of myself as a control enthusiast. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Happy, happy new year, my shit shows. If you're new, please know that shit show is a term of endearment. We are all about embracing the shit show around here. I am so pumped to be kicking off 2022 with y'all. I was interviewed for a podcast um, a few days ago. It's, it's called It Is What It Is. I'll let you know when it drops. But one of the questions that she asked me, she goes, looking back over this past year, what would you want to tell yourself a year ago? And my response was, buckle up, bitch. And that's what I want to say to all of y'all for this year ahead. Buckle up. I got big things planned. We are going to continue to grow this damn thing. One of my intentions and goals in life is to have adult child become a household name. And no, I do not mean the podcast, although that would be lovely for this for this podcast to become a household name. But I more so mean the term adult child. I've received hundreds of messages over the past nine months from y'all saying you had no idea that you were an adult child until you came across this podcast. And there are still hundreds, thousands millions, perhaps, of people out there who don't know that they're an adult child that need to know that they're an adult child. So we need to tell them that they're an adult child. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's attraction rather than promotion. But needless to say, let's continue to grow this damn thing. I'm so grateful for all of y'all that share this podcast with other people. That means the world to me. Um, so yeah, I'm going to continue to give you guys an episode every week. I have not missed a week yet, and my plan is to not miss a week for this entire year. I also have some some merch coming your way. I feel like I kind of dropped the ball there. I should have um, had that out <laughs> before the holidays, but it's a one-man band around here. Um, but I got former shit show necklaces and bracelets. I just got the, the necklace and I have it on right now. It's super cute. And then I also have uh, broken picker syndrome survivor yoga pants that are super cute as well, as well as uh, broken picker syndrome hats. I'm waiting to receive that, but um, it's coming soon. I will definitely post it on social and let you guys know on the pod when that becomes available for purchase. I hope that you guys had a great few weeks. I was supposed to go visit my grandmother in St. Louis for Christmas, and unfortunately my flights got screwed up, um, so I ended up just staying here in, in San Francisco and spending time with friends on New Year's Eve. I did make it until midnight, but I was in my bed, and I uh, had a toast by myself with some non-alcoholic wine. So on New Year's Eve, I get a big package, a big old box. And I open it up and I find three bottles of wine. And my first thought was, what sick fuck is sending me these three big bottles of wine? Somebody is trying to sabotage adult child. Uh, I then looked at the card and it was from Bianca, who is a, a Patreon member and a friend and it was, uh, it said, you know, thank you so much for everything and please enjoy this non-alcoholic wine from the vineyard that I work at. So it is uh, Navarro Vineyards. It's actually really good, guys. It's really tasty and it's completely non-alcoholic. So it's not like that, like near beer shit with like 0.001%. So no, I did not break my sobriety. Thanks, Bianca, for that. Um, I realized that when I said to you guys a couple weeks ago that none of my relationships made it through the holidays, that that actually was not completely true and that there was one relationship that made it through the holidays. And that relationship was everyone's favorite relationship, Brian number two, of course. If you are new here, you need to know the tale of two Brians. It really is a requirement for you to listen. So you need to listen to... Um, episode one, episode six, and then not sure 
I think it's like episode 12 or something. It's the episode with uh, Mr. Fix Your Picker, Adam. But that kind of goes through this tale of of the two Bryans. But so it is Christmas, New Year's 2017. So this is like a few, I guess it's like about a, a month or a few weeks from when I really hit my adult child bottom. So I spent Christmas in Florida and Brian number two was in Virginia. And then I came back to San Francisco for New Year's. And then we went up to Tahoe to celebrate New Year's. And New Year's Eve, we went to dinner. Remember the food was really bad. And then after that, we went to the Hyatt there to play some blackjack. But then I wanted to go to this other casino. So my favorite casino up there is it's called the um, Crystal Bay Club. It's like more like a dive bar, which is definitely more my scene. So we went there and then... I think it was like a little after midnight, we we went back, we drove back home. He did not get super drunk. And on our drive back home, I get pulled over. And I was so pumped. I felt like I had been waiting my whole nine years of sobriety for this to happen, to like get pulled over for drunk driving when I was not drinking. And I remember when the cop came up to the window, I told him that. And I was like, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been sober for for nine years. And I've just been waiting to be able to pass the field sobriety test, uh, which he did not make me do. And he just looked at my license and uh, left me on my merry way. So then it's the next day. It's New Year's Day. And Brian was supposed to stay. We had driven, drove separately. And um, he was supposed to leave the next day on the 2nd. And so then it's like midway through the day and he tells me that something has come up for work and that he actually has to leave that night. And I knew that that was bullshit. Um, And of course, I start like freaking out and like begging him not to leave. And and then he said he had to go. And so then it's time for him to leave and he cannot find his keys. And he's like looking all over the place for his keys. And then I remember him asking me, he goes, did you hide my keys? And while that is definitely something I would have done, (laughs) I didn't do it. I hadn't done it that time. I don't think I've ever hidden a guy's keys before, but I've definitely left shit at their houses on purpose to have an excuse to go back. Raise your hand if you've done that. I know you have. But eventually he found his keys. I can't remember where they were. Um, And then he left. And then I remember about an hour after he left, I... um, maybe it was like right away. I called, he was going to uh, like near Sacramento where he worked and I called the hotel <laughs> that he usually stays at. And I, I asked to be connected to his room. The receptionist said, uh, I'm sorry, but we don't have anybody under that name that's staying here. And of course I just start freaking the fuck out. Two weeks later when we were out to dinner, this was probably like a week before he broke up with me. He, he just kind of like, nonchalantly said, remember when I left that night and I, I told you I had to go? He's like, I actually just wanted to to go and play blackjack um, by myself at the Hyatt. And he just said that like I like it was not a big deal that he just like flat out lied. I wanted to go play blackjack. That just really means that he he wanted to go and drink. Although he was not really a, a huge fan of me at the blackjack table. So I'm sure you'll be surprised to hear that I'm quite chatty the blackjack table. I feel like that is where I am in my prime. I like to chat it up with the other folks. And I think that Brian number two found that to be a little bit embarrassing. So that was my uh, my one New Year's story in a relationship. Super great. <laughs> Hoping to create better memories in the future. So I had a interview lined up for today, but I had a a change of heart. You'll get to hear that in a future week. But I had a couple people reach out and ask when I was going to do a step three episode. And I just thought, what better way to kick off the new year but to do step three? You know, if we make uh, an intention, a commitment to really stay rooted in step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God, we can really have a badass year. So that is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be talking about step three. I'm going to share my own experience. And then I am talking to a friend and fellow adult child, Michelle, 
about her experience with the step. But before we do that, I just do want to make one quick comment on kind of intention setting and setting ourselves up for success in this upcoming year. I mentioned that in the Patreon group that we're going to be doing um, a year-end review as well as a intention setting in the year ahead. And part of that was to think of a limiting belief that they want to focus on overcoming this upcoming year. So for me, when I reflect back on 2020, the limiting belief that I overcame was that I am not capable, specifically related to creativity, doing a project on my own, bringing a creative project to the finish line. This upcoming year, the limiting belief that I want to overcome is related to I'm not enough, that I'm not good enough or that I'm not successful enough. So I make that challenge to you all. What is the limiting belief that you want to overcome this upcoming year? And then step two of that challenge is I want you to come up with some affirmations that counteract this limiting belief. So some affirmations that I've come up with that counteract this limiting belief that I am not enough are I am enough. I create my own definition of success. I resonate in my highest self and inspire joy wherever I go. I am love and I am loved. I am worthy of all of the gifts the universe has given me. And I have an abundance of inner peace and let go of what doesn't serve me. So I pose that challenge to you all. What is the limiting belief that you want to overcome and what are some affirmations that you can commit to saying on a regular basis this upcoming year that counteract that limiting belief? So let's get on with the damn show. As always, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple Podcast. And guess what, guys? You can now give ratings on Spotify. So every damn one of you out there who's been able to like avoid this part, to skip through this part, guess what? It's on you now. Give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Thank you much. Love you all. The truth of the matter, my dear shit shows, is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago, and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now, let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. All right, y'all. Let's do a quick little recap of steps one and two first. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over the effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunction, that our lives had become unmanageable, aka my childhood screwed me up. It is negatively impacting my life as an adult. And I can't fix this shit. I cannot heal from this on my own. Now for step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, aka change is possible. As I said in the step two episode, this step is not saying that we came to believe that praying twice a day and going to church every Sunday would restore us to sanity. It is saying that we came to believe that A, we are worthy of a happy and healthy life, and B, that by seeking the help we need, we can get there, we can heal. You know, and this help comes in many forms, God, our higher power, 
you know, the universe, nature, 12-step programs, therapy, healing communities, all of these serve as a vessel for which healing can occur. So now we have arrived at step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God, aka we made a decision to start taking action rooted in this belief that healing is possible. We made a decision to get out of the damn way and stop willfully trying to control everyone and everything and start seeking the help that is available to us. Now, the word decision, it comes from um, the Latin word, it comes from the same word as scissors, so meaning to cut off. So the word decision literally means cutting off choices, cutting off from one course of action and choosing another. So in the case here, we are cutting off this belief, this course of action that we can fix this shit on our own. And we are embarking on another course of action in which we seek help from a power greater than ourselves. Now, I asked the question on Instagram, you know, what are struggles or limiting beliefs that you have with accepting step three? And I think one of the more poignant responses that I received was that God is an evil asshole (laughs) that traumatized me when I was younger. And I know that this is common struggle for a lot of adult children. You know, we may have grown up in a home where we were taught to believe in God or taught to pray, but we simultaneously learned to trust that that things don't work out. You know, we felt that our higher power failed us or how could there possibly even be a higher power when we were subjected to some horrible shit growing up? And I don't really have a, an easy answer to that question, but you know, I think it's it talks a lot about in the, in the Big Red Book about how we have to separate, you know, our our parents who many of us put in the position of a higher power and, and realize that our true loving parent is a higher power. I'm going to be honest, I'm not like fully on board with that. That our you know our our true loving parent is a higher power. Um, to me, it, I, I guess it's just kind of putting some limitations on my higher power in a sense. I just feel that parent is is fallible, and um, I just think that my in my opinion, my higher power is is much greater than just a loving parent. But what I can say is, you know, I think that the only way if if you're struggling kind of with this this same belief that, you know, God is an evil asshole that traumatized me when I was younger, I think that if we can just act as if we don't believe this and just start acting, you know, in faith and and try to make these decisions to to seek help, that in time we will see experience will show us that God is not an evil asshole that traumatized us when when we were younger. Now, the other common answer, the most common answer I received related to this question of what struggles you have related to step three was related to the issue of control. Now, in the Big Red Book, it says, we believe that most of our emotional and mental distress can be traced to our steadfast nature to control. In ACA, we realize that control was the survival trait which kept us safe or alive in our dysfunctional families. We controlled our thoughts, our voices, and many times our posture to escape detection from an abusive parent or caregiver. As adults, we continue to control ourselves and our relationships in an unhealthy manner. This brings abandonment or predictable turmoil. We make promises to do better, but eventually return to our obsessive need to compulsively arrange, question, worry, dust, wash, lock, unlock, read, or hypervigilantly survey our thoughts and actions to feel safe. But it is never enough. Experience shows that there's little hope and little spirituality in homes governed by smothering control. By making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God, 
we are actually making two decisions. By deciding to ask a higher power for guidance in step three, we are also deciding to back away from control. We are surrendering our plans to run our own lives on self-will. We are asking God for help, which strikes at the heart of our instinctual reaction to solve problems on our own. You know, it's really helpful for me to remember that my need to control is often, I guess not often, it's probably always, rooted in fear. You know, to me, being in self-will is when my behaviors and actions are, are rooted in fear. And when I think about step three, I think of it as a, a choice um, to act in faith rather than fear. And I really don't even have to like truly have that faith or, you know, truly believe. I just have to act as if I do. And time and time again, it has worked out for me, which has allowed me to actually have that faith when I'm choosing to act in faith as opposed to fear. So I shared last week that I have been, you know, struggling with some fear lately, particularly related to fear of the future. So I want to share what I've been doing to kind of counteract that. I don't know about you guys, but I, you know, I, I know all of these tools and I always forget about them in the moment. So I want to share what I've been doing that I, I feel um, it has been providing me with relief in the present moment. So the first thing that I do is I um I do an EFT tapping video. So I had um you know Brad Yates on a couple months ago. And so uh if you're not familiar, you haven't listened to that um episode. So EFT tapping, it's kind of rooted in Chinese acupuncture, but basically what it is is you know you're using your fingers to tap on these various parts of your body where acupuncture needles typically are placed. And you're simultaneously saying affirmations out loud. What I think is so powerful about this is, you know, most affirmations, it's simply acknowledging the good. But with EFT, you're acknowledging the limiting beliefs and the fears while simultaneously also saying positive affirmations. So on Brad's uh, YouTube page, he has a, a folder or a playlist, which is his like quick quickie taps or quick taps or something. And so they're all... I mean, they're all between, I don't know, three to seven minutes. And so I pick one of those. He's got hundreds to choose from. And I can say for myself, I really, really find relief. I've, I notice a huge difference in my body and the tension in my body and the stress in my body after I do one of these videos. I also really like them too because it's easier for me to stay in the moment because you're you're doing many things. So you're like tapping your face or your body you're watching this video and then you're repeating the statements, the affirmations that he's saying. So for me, I just find it's 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 hard to get distracted or off track because you have to be kind of doing many things at the same time. And as I said, I I notice a very significant difference in my body after I do one of these videos. And so after I do that and I've kind of, you know, regulated myself a bit, I then do the three-step choose again method, which comes from uh, Gabby Bernstein's book, Super Attractor. So the first step is to notice the thought. So she says, when you find yourself stuck in negativity or fear, consciously step back. You can do this by noticing your thoughts and energy are out of alignment with joy. Ask yourself, how do I feel right now? And then write that down um, in your journal journal or whatever. So then step two is to forgive the thought. She says, forgive yourself for being misaligned and celebrate your desire to shift. Thank your negative feelings and thoughts for showing you what you don't want and revealing to you what you do want. Write this down. Thank you for revealing to me what I don't want so that I can clarify what I do want. Again, that is thank you for revealing to me what I don't want so that I can clarify what I do want. So then step three is choose again. She says, answer this question in your journal. What is the best feeling thought that I can find right now? 
And she says, then ask the universe, write this down. Thank you, universe, for guiding my thoughts towards good feeling emotions. So now you, you, you answer that question. What is the next best feeling thought that I can find right now? And the thing that she mentions is that this needs to be something that you can actually believe. So the example that she uses in, in the book is related to, you know, getting out of debt. She says, you know, if you're struggling with finances, the thought that I'm going to be out of debt in one week is, like, is likely to create more misalignment because you probably won't believe it. So it needs to be something that you can believe. Uh, and what she says in the book would be something like, I am open to creative possibilities for abundance. Um, and then she says, you know, this statement becomes like a prayer. So I can read to you one that I did, I guess it was a couple weeks ago. So, you know, how am I feeling right now? I'm feeling full of fear about the future. Thank you for revealing to me what I don't want so that I can clarify what I do want. So then step two, forgiving myself for having the thought. So thank you for revealing to me what I don't want so that I can clarify what I do want. Step three, you know, what is the best feeling thought that I can find right now? Thank you, universe, for guiding my thoughts towards good feeling emotions. And so then I asked myself, what is the best feeling thought that I can find right now? And I wrote, I am open to the belief that God is working behind the scenes and leading me to the life of my dreams. So that's the the three-step choose again method. And then the final thing I do is I just write down five things that I'm grateful for. So that's been my little fear buster that I've been using um, as of late. And I've definitely been getting some relief. I mean, it's not a <laughs> permanent relief, but um, yeah, I, I noticed a big change. So it's the EFT tapping videos. It's uh, doing this three-step choose again method and then writing down a little gratitude list. And I'll include all of that in the show notes. Well, that is enough out of me for now. Let's go on to my interview with Michelle. Side note, I just realized when I was editing the interview, you may hear some like piano noise in the background. I tried to edit it out, but my, my neighbor Maria, she practices her piano in the afternoons and um, unfortunately it was at the same time as my interview. So yeah, it's a, you're getting a, a two for one. You're getting a, a podcast and you're getting a piano concert. So enjoy. Hello, everyone. I just want to say that one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest gifts of, of doing this podcast has been just getting to connect with all y'all, today's guest included. So I'm really excited to introduce a, a Patreon member, but more importantly, someone who's become a dear friend. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you. So I want to talk about step three, but I, I want to start with, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you learned, because I know that you were in Al-Anon, but so when did you have your adult child aha moment? Um, Probably about a year into Al-Anon. Which was how many years ago? So I started Al-Anon two years ago in, in earnest. You know, I kind of dabbled in it for a few years. And then about two and a half years ago, I went to a meeting and really felt like I was at home with the group of people that were there. And I really started to connect and really started to work my program. Was that preceded by more pain? Like, had you kind of dipped your toe in and then you found yourself in even more pain and then started to do the deal? Oh, I found myself uh, at, at the end of another relationship with another addict. Oh, wow. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I started to think, well, maybe. Wait, is this the meth guy? <laughs> no. Okay, was... can you please tell that story, though? <laughs> <laughs> so I've been dating a gentleman. He lived on the other side of the state for me, I don't know, three, four months. We had been seeing each other. And we didn't see each other a lot because I traveled for work. And that's how we met was when I was in his side of town, on his side of the state. Um, 
And we would see each other occasionally. And I happened to be in town for work. So he and I were sitting in my hotel room, just, you know, shooting the shit. And he (laughs) said, by the way, I should probably tell you that I do math. (laughs) You're like, you do math? Math like algebra? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am a nerd, but, you know. (laughs) So, So what did you say? Oh. Did you say I do? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't know what to say at first. And I was like, well, how long have you been doing that? And he told me for over 20 years and that his wife that he was divorced from didn't know that he the whole time they were married for 10 years. So I guess I just kind of, I don't remember. I think I went on auto conversation <laughs> for um, the remainder of the evening. And he left and I was just kind of shocked and I called my best friend. Wait, but he smoked in the hotel room. Let's not leave that part out. Oh, that's right. Yes, he did. He did smoke in the hotel room and I didn't know what to say. Was he like, hey, I'm just going to take a hit or did he just like do it? Um, He pulled it out. I think what he did is he told me that. Yeah, so he could smoke. He, so he could smoke, right? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was kind of dumbfounded and then Needless to say, I just, um, I made excuses. Oh, no, I'm not traveling over there anymore. Um, you know, I'm too busy or whatever. And he actually texted me on Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hope you're doing well. This past Christmas? Yes. And yeah. it's been like three years since I've talked to him. Merry Methmas. <laughs> I don't understand why he just didn't go out to the car and do it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like he had to do it in front of you. No. And no, because he didn't, it's not like he spent the night, he left, you know what I mean? So maybe he thought you did meth too. Yeah, me, square me. <laughs> square, I'm like, I'm super square and I'm the nerdiest nerd I know. So I'm pretty sure. I don't, yeah, I'm not really sure what it was, but mm. yeah, that's, Shit. that was, yeah. So I love his number. <laughs> I still have it. I'm sure you do. (laughs) Okay. After him, continue. So after him, I met another gentleman. I don't know. It was a couple months later and started seeing him and he, uh, I didn't hear from him for probably about 10 days. And I didn't really think much about it from the day of Tinder and whatever, you know, ghosting. It's like, whatever. I didn't really care. And then he calls me and he's crying and I, get in the car and drive. Cause of course he lives far away too. Cause I travel for my job. So I get in my car and I drive up cause he's crying. I can't understand. And I walk into his house and I, there was a sea of vodka bottles mm. and his lips were pink. And I'm like, what the hell? And there's those Seagram's coolers. Mm-hmm. So what he would do is he would drink half the Seagram's cooler and then mm. fill it up with vodka. So his lips were stained pink. So clearly he was at the end of a binge or in a binge. And I was just like, uh, I didn't know you drank. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was kind of rocky, <laughs> just to say the least. <laughs> um, did you stay and like take care of him? I did. I did try to take care of him. I did help him get in rehab actually a couple of times. Um and I don't know, this was like right around New Year's. So it was right about this time. And then by 4th of July, he had gone into rehab. He had come out and I went to visit him and he started drinking and I said, I'm done. So I'm like, you do what you need to do for you, but I, I'm done with this. And then the following week I was back in al because that's when I realized, I thought, okay, there's something here. Why do I keep ending up with people? So, um, you know, cause I, to be honest with you, I saw the people in Al-Anon who had said, you know, I've been here 20 years. I'm like, well, what the hell are you doing wrong? Why are you still here 20 <laughs> years later? You know, <laughs> So I just thought that they were, you know, messed up or something. And now I get it, you know, so you got to work your program consistently. Um, so it added me back up in Al-Anon and I started to do that. And I felt like I needed to grow. And for me personally, a little bit more. 
And the rooms of Al-Anon that I've been in, I've met some wonderful people. I've done, you know, I've made some great friendships and they really helped me. But so many of the people I was in meetings with were there because of a spouse or a child um, and really weren't dealing with alcoholism and dysfunction growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, or if they did, that's not what they talked about. Those weren't the experiences that they shared or, you know, because it's all about sharing your experiences, your strengths and your hopes. Right. But they were mostly currently dealing with their current qualifiers. Whereas I was trying to look back at my whole life, my patterns. So then I reached out to ACA and there really wasn't a whole lot going on in Michigan where I lived, but I got the book and started to read the steps. Um, and then that's when I found you, Mm -hmm. I was, listening to um, Alan on speakers on Spotify, which I absolutely loved. And I listened to all of them that were on Spotify. So then I was like, well, adult child. So I started doing adult child searches on Spotify and it came across your podcast and, and it spurred this whole different journey. And I work the adult child steps, which are very similar to Alan on. I still participate in Alan on group groups and study groups. And I've also found that there are more people like me and me sharing my experiences about growing up in an alcoholic home has really um, inspired other people to really think about their childhoods. In fact, I lead an Al-Anon study group. We were doing step four right now. And I talked about adult child and some of the work that I've done through this, our study group and the group as a whole, one person said, well, will you send me that adult child information? Next person was like, well, yeah, can you send it to me? So next thing you know, I'm sending it to the adult, um, to the entire group. Mm-hmm. And they also, you know, were interested in that and your podcast. So hopefully you will have some new people listening as well. Yeah. Five star reviews. <laughs> um, so then how did you know, you know, you enter Al-Anon, you're in these relationships with addicts and alcoholics. How did you know to go, that I need that you needed to look back at your your upbringing? So about a year and a half ago, no, a little more than that. About two years, two years ago, I started a step study, um, an Al-Anon step study, and I was working with my sponsor. And the questions that we had to ask ourselves as we were going through the steps really made us reflect on our childhood. And that's where I really started to do my own personal reflection, looking at what are my resentments, right? What do I hold on to? And what are my fears? And so many of the resentments and fears that I have are connected from my parents Mm -hmm. and the life that I had growing up. So that's when I realized that I needed to do more work. And that's when I started to look at things like adult child. And I did look at CODA a little bit, but there really isn't a whole lot active in the Metro Detroit area either. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where I ended up was because of doing the step study. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess this does have a huge impact. And then to be honest with you, when I listened to the Fix Your Picker episode, mm-hmm. your, that was pretty early on, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in the first 10 episodes, I think, or 10 or 12. Yeah. When I listened to what Adam had to say, I was blown away. <laughs> and then I took his quiz and then, then I learned, you know, oh, it really, you know, it turned a light <laughs> on in my head. The light bulb definitely went off. What in particular that he said? really struck a chord with you about how a traumatic childhood can cause us to either be anxious Mm -hmm. right have anxious attachment or avoiding attachment i'm disorganized by the way which means you have (laughs) tendencies you have characteristics of both i do have characteristics of both which makes sense because i have a um alcoholic parents who you know that's where the anxiousness right and attachment comes from. And then I had an abusive parent who gave me my avoidant. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, and then it was at that point when I really started to kind of do that personal inventory that I started to realize that there were deeper issues than I really had realized. 
so give me the 500, five, whatever, 10,000 foot version of your, of your childhood. What, well, I guess, what is your earliest memory? <laughs> Sitting in our living room, smoking a joint with my parents because they passed it to me. <laughs> At what Passed age? Uh, probably five. Oh my God. Did you get stoned? I think so. Cause wow. I remember everybody laughing at me. Both parents. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that's one of my earlier memories. And then my mom left my mom, my parents got divorced. I was seven. Mm-hmm. So no, the, no, cause I was at the farm. So it was probably more like six that I remember still, whatever, five, six, it doesn't matter. What I mean, if I had started smoking at six instead of 12, then I probably would be like, I don't know, five, six instead of five, 11. <laughs> Is that why you're so short? No, how tall are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm five foot two, but I started, I was smoking cigarettes. I was smoking a pack a day by the time I was 11. Holy shit. Yeah. And I drank. You know, I was in middle school drinking. My dad would supply the beer and our weed. If we wanted weed, as long as we were good and I had straight A's and I did all my chores, I could, I could have weed. At what age? 12. I just, so for anybody, people don't know this. So like you are not in, like you're not in recovery. You don't have substance abuse issues. That is fucking crazy. How the hell do you have that in your genetics and you start that young? That is mind blowing that it didn't turn into a problem. Like that baffles me. I I don't, um, I don't know. And you are not the first person to ever say that yeah, to it's me. crazy. Therapist included. <laughs> yeah, to start that young, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so um my brother is not so lucky, you know. So which is and, and for me in my family it's the women. So it's the women. It's my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. I mean that's as far back as I know. Um but it does go through the women in my family. Although my mom, several of my mom's brothers. Mhm also struggle with addiction. So it does go in the men in my family, but um, it's been, you know, very, very much in the present in the women in my family as well. So yeah, I don't know. Um, but you know, I've self-medicated in other ways. Yeah. Well, what about when you were using when you were younger? Was, uh, was there, was there ever a period in your life where you did drink and use drugs alcoholically or addictedly? No. I, when I was young, I did it because I, my friends, you know, I had friends, right? So I was the cool friends, <laughs> right? So what was, you know, when I, cause I was the one who could get weed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even did cocaine when I was in high school with my parents, with my mom. And so I was the cool kid, right? So everybody, so of course, it made me very popular and who doesn't want to be popular, right? Yeah. So I was very popular. And because of that, um, and then I moved away specifically, I lived with my dad at that point. And then I moved away and moved in with my mom because honestly, like some of someone in my friend group stole a bunch of my dad's pot and my dad got really mad and he thought it was me and it wasn't me. And he was very physically violent. He beat the crap out of me. So at that point I knew that, I needed something better. So I moved out of my dad's home and moved in with my mom um, who lived three, three hours away. I just packed a bag and got on a bus and never went back. And um, so I, you know, was trying to escape that. Um, so at that point I was kind of became a normal high schooler. I mean, I did, you know, a little bit here and there, but it wasn't a big part of my life. And mainly because at that point, my mom's alcoholism was pretty escalated. And so I was, you know, having to deal with that. And so it, there really wasn't much for me in the way of that. Um, and I was a bartender for years. I bartended. So I really didn't drink because I was bartending all the time. Um, and I like smoking pot just didn't, I mean, it was just kind of like, I left that life behind when I went away. Not that I didn't dabble here and there and do things. Um, but you know, it just, it, I don't, it just never really did a whole lot for me. I like to be hyper vigilant and hyper aware of where I'm at and what's happening around me. So I don't like to have, you know, 
if you drink or do drugs, you're not, I can't, I can't focus on what's going on around me. So I don't know. And for whatever reason. True weirdo. I know. <laughs> oh, fucking weird. <laughs> um, I love you too. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, what about like with, so your, your, your mom left when you were six and then did you not have much of a relationship with her for a period of time or she was always kind of in the vicinity? She would pick us up on weekends. Okay. So she was a weekend mom and she, um, she waitressed on the weekend. So we didn't always have her. I, you know, this is, I had this conversation with Adam the other day. There's, I don't remember a whole lot of my childhood. Mm -hmm. I do remember the, you know, picking us up and she would a lot of times pick us up and then go camping or something because it was three hours from her house to my house. So to pick us up for three, you know, drive for three hours, drive us back home then drive us back. You know what I mean? So a lot of times she would just pick us up and we would go camping or whatever, or she would like come and stay at the house, which was really weird because then she was with my dad and, you know, their relationship was, I don't know, volatile. (laughs) So So when you think about step one, as it relates to, to Al-Anon, and then as it relates to, you know, the adult child syndrome, I guess, what are the kind of the key, was there a difference in taking step one for you? When I think about step one for either one, it's just, I can't control other people. That's how I internalize it. I cannot control what happened to me in the past. I can't control my mom's drinking or any of the guys that I've ever been with, right? I can't control anybody's drinking. Um, I can't control what happened to me in the past. So, you know, some, I don't, a lot of times I don't, I struggle with, I'm powerless, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because I don't like that feeling of being powerless (sighs) because there were several times in my early life that I was powerless and bad things happened to me. So I don't like feeling that, but I can relinquish control over other Mm -hmm. people's, you know, and, and, and their behaviors and what they do. And that's what step one has really meant for me is that anything that doesn't have to do if anything out, outside the purview of me is up to somebody else's higher power, not my, not me. What about though being powerless over the impact that your upbringing had on you? Does that still get a little wonky for you? Yeah, because I think I can change. I mean, I, I know that I can't fundamentally go backwards and, you know, really um, change the experiences or the person that I am. I am powerless over that, but I do feel that I have power on how I act going forward. Right. And, and the things that I can do and the way that I treat people or the way I approach relationships or, you know, how I go about my daily life. I have power there. I can't go backwards. So sometimes there's a little bit of a struggle because I wish I could. Um, and I, you know, but I don't want to change fundamentally who I am because I think my experiences have given me a unique perspective on life. Um, and it also makes me extremely grateful because like you said, how the hell did I come out of all that shit and not end up with a drug or alcohol addiction? I'm so grateful for that because I could, you know? Yeah. So now we transition into steps two and three and going back to what you said about the whole powerlessness thing. I guess my question to you is, do you believe that you can change on your own? Like you're saying like, yeah, I can change, but like, is that through seeking a power outside of yourself to, to help you do that? In the beginning, I didn't think so because I grew up, my parents were atheist, right? Or they didn't really embrace the church. I have memories of the church, not very positive, right? I remember going to church because it was Catholic family. And so everybody would go up to do communion. My grandmother would say, you can't go. You have to stay right here, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I hadn't gone through communion. So I, you know, I had to sit by myself while the whole church got up and went and did the thing, you know, and I'd be sitting there all by myself. So that's one that stands out to me. So I was really worried, to be honest with you, when I started doing the program um, and going through steps, I thought, how am I going to do this? I don't believe in God. It didn't exist at all. So how, how did I do that? Right. And 
I found someone in, I don't remember whom, but someone in one of my groups said, you know, if you're struggling with who is your higher power, letting that stuff go, um, you, you know, you can think of this group as a collective, as that higher power. And I kind of glommed onto that because that was something that was outside of me and as a collective had a lot more power than just I did. And so that's where the seed began. Um, And over time that has grown for me to actually have a higher power or a belief in God. And in, in one of the books, I think it's actually, is it the big book? I don't remember. One of my books that I've read, it said the thing about that and what you take from step three is made a decision, right? So that tells me that I have a choice. Mm. And that's the part that I clamped onto for step three is I made a decision to turn my will over. And it's a choice. And I didn't at first because I was a little afraid of it, to be honest with you. But that was the thing that really I pulled out when working through the steps is I have a choice to do this if I want to do it. And whatever that higher power God is to you might not be the same at the end of, you know, it's not the same for me at three years after I started this whole thing, it's completely different now. And I, (laughs) I don't know, I think I've shared this with you before, like my tattoo that says, let go and let God, right. I had to tattoo it on my skin to remind me (laughs) (laughs) that I got to let shit go because I wouldn't. When did you get okay with the God word? Probably in the last six to eight months, you know, as I've done more reading and really done some more reflection and understanding that God is who, who we understand God to be. And that is one of the things I noticed is the difference between the third step and Alan on and third step of um, ACA. I always had a, I struggled with it with Alan on. Because it would say, as we understood him. And I'm like, well, how do we know God's a guy? And I kept, and I would always think that in my head. But, you know, ACA says, take care, you know, God, as we understand God, right? And not assigning a gender to it. So I think I was able to <laughs> clamp onto that one a little bit easier. What about when it talks about in the, um, in the Big Red Book, how it talks about how our true parent is our higher power? How does that ring to you? Yeah. I, yeah, it's a little struggle for me (laughs) because I, you know, my idea of a parent isn't what I had. And Mm. so that is where I still kind of struggle at times, right? Because I know I have my version of what a parent is because I am a mom, right? And, and I, you know, I don't know. I still, I still struggle with that. I definitely will struggle with that for a while. And where my working, my father is no longer with us. Um, he passed away in 91. Um, my mom is still alive. So that's where I struggle. How can, I, I don't know. I don't want anybody to be my parent. <laughs> my experience with having a parent isn't all that great. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what about when you first came in the program and with your struggles with a higher power, how did you cultivate that relationship? I spent a lot of time outside, especially when I started doing the work, when I started doing step studies and not just going to meetings, but really trying to do some work with myself, you know, when I was starting to listen to you, it was during a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So I had my house back in Michigan where I was living at the time. Um, we had a lot of trails and parks and I just spent a lot of time outside walking. And that's where I've always found peace for myself. I mean, I grew up with an 80 acre backyard in the country. And as a little girl, I always escaped out into the woods or whatever. And so I guess that's where I really started to do a lot of stuff. I would walk, I would listen to you. I would listen to other speakers, you know, other podcasts, but that's where I really started to think about there has to be a higher power. I mean, if you look and I'm a scientist, right. And I'm actually, and you know, I do natural science I do plant ID and animal and all that kind of stuff. And so if you really think about how intricate nature is and all the different living things that we have here, it's pretty damn amazing. There's 
got to be a higher power, right? And for me, that's when I'm outside and I hear the water or the birds or what, you know, feel the breeze. That's to me where God is most present in my life is when I'm standing outside. What has been the most difficult aspect? Is there a particular area or issue that you have a hard time turning over? The resentment with my mom, Mm. (laughs) you know, um, I actually talked about this in my group last night. We talked about resentments and um, that's the one that, you know, it's not super bad anymore, but that's the one because, you know, I feel you had one fucking job, one fucking job. And that was to protect me and you didn't do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I know I would go to the ends of the earth to protect my children. Right. I made sure I wasn't always, you know, um, I wasn't the best parent, but, and a lot of times I was broke and there were times where I wasn't sure, but damn it. My kids had clean clothes. They had a full belly. They knew that I loved them. They knew that they could always come to me. Um, and I don't think they ever felt unsafe. I hope they didn't. I don't think I ever put them in a situation where they would feel like they were unsafe. And I never had any of those, you know, sometimes I didn't know if I was going to eat and, you know, clean clothes or things that fit me or, you know, whether I was going to be safe, strangers coming in and out of our homes. And I mean, all those things. And I think back, you had one fucking job and you can do it. And, you know, so now I just say that I don't spiral off into days of like being upset or mad. And, you know, I could have had this or done this and my life would be so much different. Now I can just look at it and say, you know, I had one fucking job and you didn't do it. And then I can just kind of go on from there because I know I can't go backwards and change any of that. But I do know that it built resiliency. It built independence. Um, I'm a great goddamn cook because I had to learn how to cook. (laughs) I had to learn at a very young age how to do it. Um, You know, so, I mean, there are a lot of things that came out of that ugly childhood that have served me quite well. Uh What does your practice look like for, you know, if you're struggling with something, if you're having a hard time relinquishing control, what are your go-to tools for that? Uh, Take a walk outside. Usually that's like one of my number ones. Oh, I reach out to somebody who I know in the program because, you know, you have your normal friends, my normie friends, but they don't understand. No kidding. You no, know, they just don't get it. And and it doesn't matter what program they're from. I mean, you know, my friends in AA, Al-Anon, ACA, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just if I have a friend in a 12-step program, they usually get where I'm coming from. And so I can reach out to them. Um, whereas before, I never trusted people. To be honest with you, I never trusted people enough to reach out and say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I need help because that independency and that resiliency is so burned. And so that's when I guess I realized that real change came to my life is when I started reaching out mm. to people for help like that, but also in the workplace, because I was that kind of person to be like, well, okay, I need you to do this. And I need you to, this is exactly how you need to do it. Now I just tell people, I need you to do it and you can figure it out, you know, and if you need (laughs) my help, I'm willing to help you. But, you know, I've learned that I don't have to control every single moment. And that's, you know, so I usually need to take a deep breath, walk outside and text somebody in a program. (laughs) So to wrap it up, any words of wisdom to anyone who's struggling with this whole making a decision to turn your will in your life over to a higher power. What say you find a place, whether it's outside or in your home or, you know, a place in your car, go somewhere, right. Where, you know, you can find peace Mm -hmm. and just start to think about how you can turn things over in that space or, you know, pick something other than, You know, if you just can't pick a God to say, you know, but just find a place where you can find peace and start to turn things over at that point and then grow it into your program or, you know, a group of something, but that you, you've got to find a spiritual release. Right. And that's where I really kind of 
tuned it in. It was like I said, that's why I would go outside. It was a spiritual release to me. And I don't know that I was releasing it to anything in particular, but I would just go out and, you know, whether I was at my beach or whatever, I mean, I could go just about anywhere where I lived in Michigan and be in nature. So where I wasn't hearing traffic and things like that. So that's what I needed. But I think, you know, some people might find it in the crazy part of a city, right? In the, all the chaos of the noise and create that silence or a spot in their home or, you know, their grandmother's house or, you know, a certain chair. I mean, I think we all find a place of solace and, you know, make that your space where you try to let stuff go and reach out to your friends. So, well, thank you. This has been lovely. Oh, you're amazing. I just, Mm. you know, I'm just so grateful that I met you and, you know, came across your podcast and, you know, just, I was trying to explain it to the women in my study group last night. I said, what it's done to me is it's not just the content that you talk about, but the different people that, you know, like getting, you know, Tian Tain's workbook or connecting with Adam and, you know, some of the change that I'm going to be working on with him and, you know, just listening to different people. Um, because even though, okay, the relationship one, what was the one was not too long ago was the couples therapy one, oh, right? Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Elizabeth. Yeah. I was Elizabeth like, well, I don't know. I'm not a couple. I'm a single person. I got a lot of shit out of that. Yeah, I did. Even yeah. as a single person, because I still have to manage relationships with people. Right. Yeah. It might not be somebody that I'm sleeping with, but I still have to manage relationships. And so there was still nuggets of good stuff in that for me, even though I'm not a couple, you know, so I don't know. It's just led me down some good rabbit holes. Yeah. And shout out to Adam. He finally got back to me yesterday and said that. He'll oh, did he? Something with me. Yeah, I've been bugging the shit out of him. So I was like, it's time to make this happen or it's never happening again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, te- um, you know, I told you, I texted yeah. him and I told yeah. him. So <laughs> did you read his story about the Panamanian family that he helped, helped out on Instagram? It was pretty no. good. Yeah. Oh. It made me like tear up a little bit. It was like a family and they wanted their dog was dying or sick. And they didn't know what to do. And so the young boy reached out to Adam and said, Adam's like, we'll take him to the vet. And the guy's like, well, money. And Adam's like, picked up the dog, took it to the vet and paid for it and whatever. And, you know, just that whole thing about how when you grow up your entire life, not having anybody that you can truly count on. And then as an adult, be that person who's a young person can reach out to and say, Hey, I need your help. And actually following through with it and doing something to help them. What a gift that is. Right. Because yeah, there were times for me, like my neighbors across the street, that family, they made sure that we ate. Like sometimes there wasn't going to be food. My dad, seriously, Andrew, my dad would go out of town and leave my brother and I alone. And we wouldn't like, for a week. And I was probably nine and he was three, (laughs) you know, that kind of shit. And so my neighbors across the street would make sure that we were fed, you know, it was, yeah, it was not, it was, yeah, not right. Well, so we're wrapping up, but I want to ask you about this. So you talk about these strong resentments, like, you know, towards your mother and you had one job. How does that play into how you feel about your job, your dad and the job that he was supposed to fill? Um, I do have, have felt that way about my dad, but, um, in 1991, I got a phone call from a woman in Belize telling that my, telling me my dad was dying in the hospital. So fast forward, long story, but whatever, we got my dad out of Belize um, what was he doing down there? He was trying to save the rainforest. He was, um, my dad started the whole ecotourism business in oh. the country of Belize. Wow. Um, so he, yeah, he would connect local people with tourists from all over the world. So they wouldn't tear down the rainforests for oranges to Coca-Cola that they would get involved in the whole ecotourism thing. It was this way of trying to protect the rainforest or save the rainforest. So this apple didn't fall too far from the tree on that one. So I um, met his air ambulance uh, in Miami 
went to the hospital, found out that what we had learned while he was there, he was dying. And um, so I, you know, said, hey, dad, we got to have some conversations. And he, he was loopy. He said, well, let's just go sit out on the picnic table and smoke a joint and talk about it. I'm like, uh, dad, do you know where we're at? <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, um, and he, he said to me, I was a horrible dad. I didn't, mm. you know, he totally, he made amends on his deathbed. And so, yeah, there are a little bit of those resentments, but I, I got a gift. I got a huge gift that day, right? Mm. That he owned it and he apologized for it. So, yeah, I don't have that with my mom yet, you know? So I don't know that I ever will. Um, but I'm glad that my dad finally owned it. And maybe my mom will own it too. I don't know. Well, you're quite an inspiration to me. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that can help you on your own journey. And as always, I know that you did. Thanks again to Michelle. That was wonderful. Um, what else? Uh, next week, I have a couple of interviews. I have a couple choices. So TBD on what I'm going to do, uh, but it's going to be good regardless. You can find me on social at Adult Child Pod on Instagram and TikTok. You can uh, join the Patreon group by going to patreon.com slash adult child. As I said, that's where all the cool kids hang out. And um, you can also hit a girl up. I love hearing from y'all. Um, you can email me at andrea at adultchildpodcast.com. And I'm going to be seeing you all next week for another episode. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I am super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise. Let it all go.